0: Love, everyone. Uh, It is, oh, I didn't even get this thing out yet. So good to be with you all. Uh, If I have not met you, my name is Wally. Um, I am the teaching pastor here, and I have been gone, though, with my bride. We were gone for two weeks in Rome, and then last week, uh, we got in last Saturday, a little before midnight, and I snuck in. Uh, in the back to the gathering last week, so I was physically here, sort of, uh, uh, as I kind of took in things, and then when I left, and I don't know about Tuesday, I'm like, I was there, wasn't I? Um, Thank you, Sarah, thank you, thank you. Uh, I was hanging out with peoples, and I didn't get water. Um, And we have a little bit to talk about today, so I might need a water break. That's my time joke. That's what we'll do. That's the time joke, just in case you needed that. Um, We had a great time. I'll have stories upon stories upon stories. You'll learn even more about uh, my wife and I, as in uh, there have been so many people that have asked us as they said, how was your time? And we start sharing. Certainly as I start sharing, I was... uh, Uh, with some uh, other Harbor pastors this week, and I was telling just a story, and one of the pastors tilted his head at one point and looked at me and said, "Um, that all sounds uh, really amazing, but does your wife like history the way that you do? Because everything I was sharing is we were in this basilica and then we did this thing in church history, church church, blah, 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 blah. And so I could tell he was like, oh, did you just drag your wife to a bunch of church stuff? Or And I go, oh, yeah, she does. And I was actually wrong when I said to him, she does love it as much as me, which is inaccurate. She loves it more than I do. History. So when we sunk in, I'm like, no, no, we, we had so much fun, and we dug in and did everything that we really wanted to do, but we needed the full amount of time. We were never rushed. Um, we, we enjoyed ourselves fully, and, um, and I'll have lots and lots and lots of stories uh, to share about our travels um, I look forward to digging in uh, while I was gone, you all continued to discuss why does the church matter, and what does it look like to partner together in community to be good news? These questions have kind of held us together for um, what we call a teaching series, so we've been going through this, um, which in a lot of the ways what we were looking at is what does it even mean to be the church? What is the church, if you will? What does it mean to be the church in and for the world, to be good news in and for the world? What does it mean to be a community that is committed to the life and ways of Jesus, which is the way of love? What does it mean to be a community that is committed to walking with the divine, focusing on the next right step? Committed to being a community of belonging. Thank you, Andrew. That was phenomenal. What does it look like to be a community of belonging in which we invite all people to belong? What does it mean to be a people that extend love then to all people, which is to be a people that embody and display the mission of Jesus in all of life. And this love will take us to places that are deeply uncomfortable. Darkness needs light. Thank you, Sarah. It takes us to these places to shine light in them so that we uh, can have an understanding that in darkness, in these dark places, there is an element of darkness trying to create hell on earth and we need to shine light in it or even just bring bananas to those who are hungry, if you will. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, go back and listen to when Sarah was teaching. So bringing food in the most practical ways. What does it mean to shine light in the most practical ways into the darkness? What does it mean to do that as a community, to be a community of that? In all of this, we are fleshing out what it means to live and move and have our being in the divine, as the Apostle Paul puts it. And we are called as a church to partner together in being good news for Walker and beyond. Within all of this it's actually easy to get lost in the theological minutiae. Those can be fun conversations for some people and those are often or maybe more often nap-inducing for many others. So we, we can swim in all of that, uh, but then when we get kind of lost in some of that theological minutia, then what it can feel like, and this is true of me, and I, I felt this as I reflect on my time away, reflect on life, I do that with um, rest, vacation, there was a lot of reflecting, and and when we get lost sometimes in the, in the weeds, I wonder if we then start thinking about what it means or we start actually just moving in a way in which we are professional Christians rather than just getting lost and being kids of our Creator. And what does it mean to mature as kids of our Creator? Because it's easy to slip into professional Christian mode. But being kids of our creator and maturing in that is actually, it just feels a bit more human. So I want to wrap up our conversation, this teaching series, with the most straightforward of Jesus' instructions to his students. So I'd love to say a word of prayer, and then we're going to sink in. Gracious God, what a gift to breathe right here, right now, to be alive. It is a gift, and God, we, uh, it's too easy to take for granted the fact that we just move along and we're breathing, inhale, exhale. It's all gift. It's grace. It's you filling us with the ability to be here now. And it's a gift to gather as your body the church, and I'm so grateful for this community. And I pray, God, now that you speak the way you do. We're not telling you, we're acknowledging that you are speaking, that you are moving, that you are with us, and that you are working through us. May we have open hearts, open minds, and open ears to what you have for us us. May the words of my mouth, the posture and meditation of my heart, bring honor to you and you alone, God. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. And the church said, amen. Um, we're going to get into a phrase. So there is a phrase that appears 100 times as they say it in the New Testament, this phrase is one another, one another. hundred times, approximately 59 of these occurrences are specific commands for followers of Jesus on how and how not to relate to one another we have handouts we put on the chairs that have all 59 of them. So maybe for you, you're like you're someone who likes to keep this stuff in front of you, on your desk, on your refrigerator, whatever it may be. There are 59 one another's that we kind of put together, and you'll see most of them are positive. There are a few that are negative, as in here's how not to treat one another or be towards one another. So there's like, all in all, there are commands, instructions, in which we are to live uh, with one another. Specific commands for followers of Jesus on the one another's. Uh, if, if you want to keep those, those are just for that. Uh, we are not, it's not realistic, we're not going to go through all 59 of them this morning. I thought about it, and then I thought better of that. But we're going to hone in on one, one of them, and he essentially follow Jesus in this, which makes sense to ground all of the one another's. You can ground all of them into the one that I had mentioned is the protagonist of the story of God love. Love. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, isn't the protagonist of the story of God God? Or is it love? And the answer is. Yes, yeah, of course, right, 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 right. The writer John boldly proclaims in his first of three little letters in the back of our Bibles, this in 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love, very bold claim. And that invites us to sink into the single grounding one another instruction, which this John writes about in his gospel, according to John. So this gospel, the good news of Jesus. So we're going to be in there. What we know is chapter 13 of John's gospel. Just to set it up contextually, uh, Jesus has just shared in what is known as the Last Supper with his students and he has celebrated or they have participated in the Eucharist communion uh, idea. And then he gets up from this meal and he washes his students dirty feet. One of his students, Judas, has just run out of the room to rally together all of the religious leaders in order to have Jesus arrested. So in this moment, Jesus leans in and has an incredibly intimate conversation with his 11 remaining students. Jesus knows these are the last moments before he goes off and is arrested and beaten and then crucified. So this time is really precious, it's intimate, it uh, begins uh, what is often referred to as the farewell discourse as he begins to have these last conversations with his students. So Jesus knows he needs to be very precise and poignant with his words as he comes to his end. John 13, 33 and 34 says this, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. The context is dripping with intimacy and care for his students, seen by the fact that he calls them children, which is just simply referring to them as, you are my family. You are family. And the finely sliced single command is to love one another. How clean and clear... The other 58 one another instructions are practical ways on how to essentially exercise this love. And if you extract love from any of those other 58 one another's, then it quickly can become about obligation and simply rules, and it would miss the heart of the divine. And Jesus adds emphasis to what this one simple command will accomplish. Thank you, Jesus. In verse 35, by this, when you love one another, by this, everyone will know that you are my students if you love one another. That's not hazy or esoteric ambiguity. Love one another. How will people know you have walked with me and have learned from me? Your doctrinal thesis? No. Your ordination credentials? No. If you love one another, thank you, Jesus, for just simple clarity on this. This is how people will know you are my students. The simplicity of the command brings to mind a teaching I heard over 20 years ago. It was from Mars Hill Bible Church in Granville. I actually do not remember the teaching. I remember the preface to the teaching, which was really just more of an announcement. The church was growing in attendance by the hundreds weekly. Could you imagine every single week, hundreds of more people each week? So this thing is growing. The pastor, Rob Bell, said in this announcement, if you cannot act with common decency toward one another in the parking lot, please stay home. We could really use your chair for people who want to take following Jesus seriously. If you cannot love one another in the parking lot, please stay home. We could use your chair. I'll never forget it. I was like, whoa. Now we're right down to it, right? The simple instruction to love one another then apparently is not easy. It tends to be interrupted by inconvenience, discomfort, and the most basic aspects of life which involves interacting with other human beings, right? And this is not easy. Now, what happens next in this text is a gift for us. The senior student, Peter, never shy to process life out loud, has a question for Jesus. In verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Oh, sweet Pete. Do you see what just happened here? Do you see what he just did? Jesus leans in, looks at his students in the eye, and says, guys, I'm going to be leaving. Love one another. Love one another. And Peter leaps, seems to leap over it. The clear command, and he focuses on the temporary location of Jesus, missing the eternal vocation of Jesus, which is love one another. Are you with me? He's like, oh, where are you going? What's going on? I just said love one another, and his thought is, well, where are you going? Oh, it just, there's a part of me that goes, oh, Pete. And then I'm like, oh, bless you, Pete, for going first. Because maybe you can think of times in which the church was too caught up on the temporary location of God and missing out on the eternal vocation of love. Maybe you can think for yourself a time in which you were caught up on the location and missing out on the vocation. I know for myself, even in like, uh, Dear God... Be with Margaret right now. And I can hear the divine whisper to me. And where else do you think I would be, Wally? Oh, sorry. Thank you, God, that you are with Margaret. We sometimes say prayers for ourselves, like, right? That's really just, God, be with her. That's, it's, it's like God going, I, I am. Do you just need to process that out loud? Okay. But we're caught up on the location. God, where are you? And we miss out on, well, God like, is, is with us and says, love one another. Pay attention to this. So, one, thanks, Pete, for going first and getting distracted because we can and thank you john for keeping this in your account all not neat and clean let's tell stories on one another (laughs) in which we may have skipped the plot now we have the immense privilege to pause inhale the context and heightened intensity of this moment we get this wonderful privilege allowing this to dance within us and making way for it to be oxygen for the soul. Jesus is heading towards arrest and execution at the hands of the Roman Empire in collusion with the religious institution and he instructs his students to love one another. This is what Jesus chooses to say at the end of his life which I assume makes it central for what he desires for his students to grasp and go forth with, correct? So let's dig a little deeper now into this instruction which I think can give us some handles for how to take the next right step. Verse 34, we'll go back to it. A new command I give you. Love one another. A new command. Is this a new command? No. Jesus is Jewish and a rabbi teacher so he would have had the Torah embedded on his heart which means he would be familiar with our favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus, in which it says this in 19.18, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. All the way back, love your neighbor as yourself. So if it's not that kind of new, as in this is the first time you heard this, then what is Jesus up to? So our good friend N.T. Wright helps us here. N.T. Wright says this, the newness isn't so much a matter of never having heard words like this before. It's a matter of the mode of this love, the depth and type of this love. Love one another in the same way that I have loved you. What's new is you've now seen it for three years, family, You have walked with me, heard me, watched me do this. What's new is you have that kind of grasp of it now. His students are on the brink of some new challenges, especially with Jesus highlighting, hey, I'm going to be gone soon. And so you are to be the people that take this way forward. So Jesus says, take this ancient, eternal command and embody it in the ways clearly modeled for you over these last three years, which, by the way, was most recently shown in sharing a meal together and Jesus washing their filthy feet. John 13, 3-5, so if you back up, that's what would just happen. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around His waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. There is an intimacy here that com- commentators talk about because if he took off his outer garment and put this towel around his waist then took his towel off to wipe their feet, he is being very vulnerable, physically even, for his family. By washing their calloused, dirty feet, a slab of leather on Roman roads, Sarah and I walked with shoes, got home each night and went, dear heavens, my feet are killing me walking on this uneven cobble. Like the cobblestone, we were like, oh, and we've got, I mean, just well-designed Nikes I can't imagine a slab of leather and they're walking around on those all day, every day. Their feet were like just a giant callus. And Jesus says, okay, slip off that leather and I'm going to wash your feet. Uh, Jesus, we, can we acknowledge this is rare He says, all things have been put under his power, and then he uses his power to wash their feet. So this is how Jesus shows the power of love, or maybe we should call it just love. But this is power. Is this how we experience power today? People in power, people who have leadership, and he says, I'll wash feet. Then he instructs them to follow him in this way. Then he goes on in this. Uh, Next slide. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you think about them. You will be blessed if you intellectually give a nod to them. You will be blessed if you just walk the way I walked, do what I do, you will be blessed if you wash people's feet. Huh. So we are constantly to take the tried and the true, the things we know will forever be, and we tweak them a little bit, adjust them, innovate them to be relevant to our world today which is what John will ask of his community in those three little letters in the back, he's going to start saying to them, let's talk about what love looks like for our community. Innovate serving, which always begins with the basics. Maybe washing feet becomes washing and fixing cars. Maybe it's mowing lawns, carpooling, or sharing the basic elements of food. Let's have meals together. However we innovate serving, it is always to be baked in love. You innovate serving however you see fit that for the needs of those around you, it's just got to be baked in love. Can't be obligation. Can't be trying to win, gain, earn. New Testament scholar and teacher Amy Jill Levine She's so fantastic. She highlights the need to go beyond just listening to what Jesus said here. And I love this. As a teacher, she says this. If we count ourselves among the disciples, our task is not simply to absorb. We are human beings, not sponges. We know from both Jewish and pagan sources that disciples are active learners. They ask questions. They seek clarification. They raise objections. They seek to take their teacher's comments to the next level. Were my students only to parrot what I said without developing their own views, then I would have failed as a teacher. As a teacher, I can imagine Jesus thinking as he begins the sermon, what I think as I begin a class. Please, folks, pay attention. Don't screw this up. If you don't understand something, ask. My reputation is on the line. (laughs) Oh... I love this because as many of you know, I grew up in a church in which we were not allowed to ask questions. They were considered inappropriate. But the very way of Jesus is one of inquiry, curiosity, and questions. So that his students will wrestle with how to best embody and live that out for their lives around them, their context. How will you embody this and live it out? Now, I'd like to take a little bit of time and talk about what we can learn from history as it pertains to embodying and following the way of love, the way of Jesus. Because much of what we face in our world today is not actually new. Like we discovered in Jesus saying, a new command I give you, love one another, it's not actually new, but what it was is it's, there's some new context, if you will, and some some. Fresh ways to kind of get your tentacles around this idea. So, what I'd like to do is just unpack a little bit of history. Um, In the first century BCE or BC, however you see, right through the life of Jesus, Rome was the global military superpower. The dominant religion of that time was really just a cauldron of gods, lots of gods. It was demanded that people honor and worship the Roman Emperor Caesar as a god on earth. That was demanded. Whatever else you do beyond that, they were kind of good with. The best preserved temple in the entire ancient, like in the entire world, is in Rome. It's called the Pantheon. Next slide, here it is. Best preserved. It is crazy how well that that thing just is stunning. What it is. And the Pantheon, Pantheon says it all, it means um, the God, many gods of the people. Pantheon, many gods of the people. It was a temple built to offer worship for all the gods. It was built in 26 BCE. We admire, think, that restaurant has been around for 50 years. How about well over 2,000 years? What? Now, here's the thing. Next slide. The hole in the the dome, which, how'd they build it? The hole in the dome, next slide. We zoom in. It's 30 feet wide. They built this hole in it 30 feet wide so that the gods could watch the people worship them. This is what they understood. And so the gods could watch them make their sacrifices in the temple to them. The gods are way up there, little bitty humans down here offering worship and sacrifices to appease the gods. Did any of my new wine friends go, oh yeah, right? The gods way up there, let's build a hole in this thing, Archae- uh, Architectural. I don't even know how they do, modern architects marvel at how did they do this, but why so the gods have an eye on us. Now then, lots of gods then, totally fine. What was not allowed then is if one did not acknowledge the emperor as divine or to worship one god as the only god. That's not allowed. That's known as monotheism. Uh, So for nearly, here's the thing, 300 years following Jesus, it was illegal to be singularly Christian. It could, and for some it did, lead to death. Violent persecution, to be sure. Then in 313 CE, the Roman Emperor Constantine, who had converted to Christianity in what is known as the Edict of Milan, made way for religious tolerance, making Christianity legal and now safe. Two years later, Constantine's arch was dedicated outside of the Colosseum in Rome to commemorate this freedom. Next slide. Here's the arch. Sarah and I are on the second level of the Colosseum where I take this picture. This thing is standing there. This is an arch of Constantine which is to symbolize this edict. Christianity is now legal and they have this thing that says, let's mark this, a new freedom. Wonderful. This can be positive, right? Freedom to worship, that's a good thing. But what quickly or simultaneously happened was the Christian faith became imperialized and began to act more in the ways of empire. In fact, it became common that people who did not convert to Christianity would be persecuted and, yes, even killed. A faith born in love had become institutionalized and imperialized. When the controlling government implements laws, it can have positives. But laws cannot control or guarantee love. Are we preaching yet? Love is the center. The time my wife and I had in and around Rome was absolutely amazing. It's hard to pick a favorite thing, but the experience that overwhelmed me the most was our day trip to Assisi. So, next slide. This was a picture going in. We walked from the metro station and we had quite a walk to get there, walking through olive groves that are gorgeous heading up to this city built into a hill, if you will, and walking up to it. Next slide. This was, I think, when we were leaving at the end of the day. Uh, partial piece of it that you can see. Uh, this day of just exploring and spending a day in Assisi was just, it, 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 it just overwhelmed me. I was emotional a good bit of the day. Many times my wife's like, are you Okay. And she had to check in on me more than she normally does. Um, but here's the thing. It wasn't just the place. It was the history and particularly the story of a brother from another mother, a man named Giovanni Di Pietro Di Bernardone. Now, this was overwhelming, his story, and I have to include, and the pastry. Next slide. Oh, yeah. Listen. Listen, this is what we asked. What's Assisi known for? They said, this pastry. I, they, well, well, then we'll have to have one, we said. And they gave it to us, and I took a bite, and I think the words that came out of my mouth is, heaven is real. <laughs> um, unbelievable. Flaky pastry. This is all sidebar, sort of. Flaky pastry, apple, like apple pie filling, raisins and almonds. Listen, it's, it's come on. Unfair. What's goodness? All right now, pack it up and we'll go. Unbelievable. Um, Yeah, see? Now, there's a good time like that. So good. Now, I want to talk about Giovanni. Known to his family and friends as Francesco, his life radically reshaped the church in the late 12th and early 13th century CE. Let me know if this experience sounds familiar to you of the world. Francesco's dad was a silk merchant in Assisi who was hitting his stride and becoming very prosperous as the world was embracing this new idea of capitalism. Now, Francesco was handsome, witty, gallant, and he delighted in his dad's fine clothes. He spent money lavishly, and his dad beamed with pride at this. Many historians remark about Francesco's bright clothing, rich friends, and his love of pleasures, which began to burn out at a rather young age. Francesco began displaying a disillusionment toward the world growing up around him. One story goes that he was selling cloth and velvet in the marketplace on behalf of his father when a beggar came to him and asked for alms. At the conclusion of a business deal, Francesco abandoned his selling, ran after the beggar. When he found him, he gave the man anything and everything in his pockets. His friends, his rich friends, mocked him for his charity, and his father, in a rage, scolded him. Soon after this, he enlisted in the military, where he was quickly captured and spent a year imprisoned at Colastrada. There he fell seriously ill and began to reevaluate his life. However, in his return to Assisi in 1203, Francesco became uh, quickly returned to his carefree life. In 1205, he left for Apulia to reenlist in the army. But as he arrived, he had a strange vision that said, "Go back to Assisi" His troubled soul led him to wander just outside the city to a tiny, dilapidated country chapel in San Damiano. There in this small, run-down chapel, he knelt before this cross. And in an honest and broken state, he prayed this simple prayer. Most high, glorious God, Cast your light into the darkness of my heart. Give me, Lord, right faith, firm hope, perfect charity, and profound humility with wisdom and perception so that I may carry out what is truly your holy will. During this time of prayer, Francesco heard Jesus speak to him this message Restore my church. As you can see, it is in ruins. There were the literal ruins that he was sitting in of this rundown chapel and he knew it transcended the literal and it included the big C church, which had fallen into even worse shape. The church had bought into imperialism, wherein if people did not believe as the powers that be ascribed it, then you crush them, even kill them which appeared around him in what we now know as the Crusades. The church had also bought into the consumerism that was sweeping the world. The church was now rich and powerful. And that combination was lethal for the hurting, the hungry, the poor, and the marginalized. So Francesco set out to be good news in the most basic and practical of ways. He gave anything and everything he had to serve the poor and the least of these around him, which made his father furious. He had Francesco dragged into the middle of town where he publicly chastised him. Francesco renounced his father, tore off his clothes, tossed them at him and ran off into the countryside naked. Over the next couple of years, Francesco began to physically restore a number of the rundown chapels in and around Assisi. He took to nursing the lepers who were ignored and shunned within the city. His message was simple yet compelling, love all people well. a young woman was captured by this simple yet profound message. She vowed herself to serving alongside of him. Francesco not only accepted her, he empowered her to teach and lead, which drew the ire of the institutional church. How dare you empower women? It has historically been spoken about Francesco, that he was a misfit who created a community of misfits who were rooted in love. This alternative community was his greatest and strongest critique of the institutional church, which had become drunk on power and opulence. Although Francesco's life and community acted as his strongest critique of the empirical and bloated with wealth church, he also had no problem taking audience with the Pope in Rome and the heads of the church all throughout the known world, and he would lovingly but also very firmly call out how they had lost the plot. Around Christmas time, Francesco organized a scene, kind of like a play, where they would dramatically enact how the life of Jesus was born and lived in and among poverty. Yes, this Francesco is the person who created the nativity scene. This young man would later become known as Saint Francis of Assisi. He died at the age of 45. He did so much in so little time. He died in 1226 CE, it was only two years later that the Pope sainted him and his community built this basilica in his honor where his tomb lies today. The woman who committed her life to love and the ways of Jesus taught by Francis is known as Claire of Assisi. The community built this basilica on her behalf and her honor where her tomb lies today. The city of Assisi over 800 years later is baked in this story. Everything in which you do and move in this place is just reverberating with the heart of Jesus lived out in these simple people. St. Francis' life and vision was very simple. Next slide. Service to the poor and marginalized, affirmation of the unique worth of each person, appreciation for beauty, reverence for all creation, and faith in a personal and provident God. Come on. His ways were the simple exercising of love one another. Summed up in his prayer. Next slide. To be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Walker Harbor Church, may the words heard by Francesco 818 years ago be ours. Next slide. Restore my church. As you can see, it is in ruins. We don't need to start something new. We simply need to commit to Jesus' old instruction to love one another well. This happens when we commit to being known and to knowing one another. We commit to fresh expressions of loving one another in the most basics of life, being hospitable, creating communities of belonging for all people, serving, giving, and going in love for the sake of love. We try and make it as practical as possible. Our best critique where you hear friends and neighbors and co-workers and people saying to you, yeah, but the church has done fill in the blank. We don't have to argue with it. We can acknowledge and be honest about it. I know too. Yes. But our best critique of that which is broken is to love one another well, to be an alternative community that loves well. Richard Rohr, who who comes after St. Francis, like modern day, he has built his life around the teachings of St. Francis. He paraphrases, puts that really, really well. The best critique of the bad is the practice of the better. Please forgive me for I have a lot of times critiqued the institution. I do, I know, I, I get after it and I say it. I want to first and foremost live it. I want to lead us in doing that well. doesn't mean I won't take audience and name some things that need to be named. But if we love well and if we live in community in this love, man, that just goes so far into people going, what is the deal with these people? It's like they're almost impossible to offend. We have what we call care communities to make this as practical as we can be. Care communities where we've tried to organize them regionally if we can, geographically as best that we can, so that we can take larger numbers and shrink them down into smaller numbers so people can be known and can know one another better. This is why we've done this. And when we talk about taking larger numbers, anything more than 20 is a lot of people. And so I get that we live in mega-churchianity where we think massive, big, whatever is normal. It's not. The average church in the United States still is less than 70. We're bigger than the average church in the United States on a Sunday morning, if you will. So always trying to get into one another's lives a bit more closely. We have care communities. So I just want to highlight some some of this so we know if you are not aware. Doug and Lori Hahn, Lisa Campbell, the three of them lead the Granville, Wyoming, Kentwood region. Denny and Laura Lee Bergsma lead the Western uh, Walker, Talmadge township region. Sue Coutier and myself Lead the Marne Coopersville Lakeshore region. Barb and Bruce Rizzolata, back there waving, lead the Jennison Allendale region. Chad and Stacy Grogel, upstairs with our kids right now. And Ann Madden, lead one of the Central Walker communities. Bob and Jeannie Zweers lead another Central Walker uh, one. Because here's the thing, the good thing is, our biggest numbers come from right around Central Walker area. We have these communities. We have information how you can learn about them, how we can get tucked into these smaller groups of checking in on one another. How are you doing? What are you praising God for? Are there any, is there anything you need? Any way in which we can be praying for you? And it's things like, let's grab a meal together. Let's grab coffee. Let's grab a pastry. Let's just spend a little face time together in, in cookouts, in bonfires, hangouts, whatever it may be, but let's spend some time so that we can be known and we can know one another. That is the hope. I love this community. I love getting to know people. And Sarah does. And Jess does. But in terms of like going, well, I got a prayer request. I'll give it to Wally. That may not be a very good idea. That thing get lost in my back pocket in a hurry. I, I pray it does not. But we will share them together. But can't do it all. We need to sync up in these smaller communities. That That is how I can just encourage you with everything that I am that that would be. Because as we grow, if more people come, we actually want to continue to shrink in pockets so that people are connected and loved on. That is the hope. Now, I want to just take some time, give us some space to reflect on this a bit and we're going to come to the Eucharist. Communion. Lord's Supper. And, and spend some time reflecting on that, thinking through loving one another in the most practical of ways. Oh um, uh, in Assisi, I really, really wanted this cross. I, I loved it. It's made out of olive wood, uh, because there like, they do that. All of the olive groves around there, they don't just waste them. So even when they're not kicking out the good olives, then when they're kind of done, they make things. And this cross says Assisi on, its hands knit together. All over the cross. Hands knit together. It's a symbol of Assisi because it's, it's centered on Christ together. This, oh, goodness of doing that. Uh, Sarah and I, I, I don't even know the number. We went into so many basilicas when we were in Rome. If we, if, I kid you not, we'd be walking and the doors were open and they'd go, oh, there's a church. We'd go into a basilica and we'd go in there. Stunning, gorgeous. Everything, you walk in and you're like, eh. and it's 1,500, 1,800, 1,300 years old. Stunning, and there are people in there. And we would go in and we would um, take in everything and there are a couple times that they were doing mass. And so we'd sneak in and we would just... In the back, kind of participate in what was going on. And at one, they were going to do the Eucharist, and Sarah's like, "Do we do this? We do this? We're not Catholic. Like, do you think they'll figure it out?" (laughs) And she was like, "I don't know." And we were literally like, "Uh." And the lady next to us was kind of smiling. She could tell, like, "You don't know what you're doing, do you?" It was pretty good. And I was looking at her. I'm like, nodding, like, "Yeah, we don't." Um, And so we're doing this, and I'm like, "Oh no, we go up there." and don't know what he's saying, and the priest up front, and then I'm, Sarah gets up, and I'm like, I'll just follow her, and we get up there, and she goes, and she kneels down or whatever, and she puts her hands out, and, the, I, and I look on the priest, and I'm like, oh, I'm glad she went first, because he's like, what are you doing? But then it was open your mouth, puts it in her mouth, the styrofoam. <laughs> I mean, they, at Rome does everything well, but styrofoam, what is the, anyways... Puts it in your mouth and I go next and I. <laughs> and he didn't, he put it in. I'll tell you what though, in doing that and, and participating in the Eucharist, it was, it was sacred and holy and incomplete. Because the people around, I mean, it was stunning in so many ways, but the people around us were strangers. And I missed you all. And th- there's something about coming to the Eucharist in community. And being able to look each other in the eye and saying, I know you, know your name best I can. I got the first part right. But to know each other and to share in this together and say, we center our lives on Christ. We bless you, God, for breaking yourself open and pouring yourself out that we may be healed, that we are loved and are being made whole so that we can break ourselves open and pour ourselves out for those that are hurting and wounded and wondering. And so this moment of taking this together is so sacred and beautiful. And so uh, Lisa Campbell and myself will be on this side. Uh, and Dave and Sue Coutier will be over here, and you just can come as you feel led, as you want that you come, and you will hear things like this is a symbol. It's a picture of Jesus' body broken for you. This is a picture, a symbol of Jesus' blood poured out for you. We, we do this in remembrance, which is to say we reflect on the goodness and the grace And then we go to do this for others, to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out in that way, in following the way of Jesus, the way he said, I have given you an example to follow. So we'll take some time to do this. We'll give some space for the uh, musicians to come up first, if you will, and we'll serve them. And then if you want to come forward uh, after that, that would be lovely. Gracious God, we bless you for loving us right where we are. In the midst of all of our mess and running around and chaotic lives, Uh, you slow us down and freeze us in your love. You heal us and make us whole. You hold us when we become unwound. You teach us when we're confused. You walk so we have a place to put our next step. May we hold your hand for this next right step of the journey. May we continue to learn in the simplest of ways and more difficult of ways to love well, Those who love us in return and those who may reject us and despise us, may we return that with your unmatched love. You are good and we bless you for this community, for this invitation. Church. children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going. You cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my students, if you love one another." Uh, in our time away and we go around and we experience history a thousand years ago eight hundred years ago two thousand years ago we are immersed in this and what we saw in all of this there was something that kept rattling around within me in all of the history that goes all the way back to the time of Jesus and before and all that unfolded in all of it God was faithful. God was faithful. The question that kept rising was, will the church be faithful? God wins. Love will and does win. God chooses and has chosen to partner with humanity. That's what God chose to do, to partner with us, to live out the good news. God is faithful. When we love one another well, when we commit to this together, by holding hands, by walking with one another, sitting with one another, praying with one another, just loving one another well. We tell the story. We live the story of Jesus. The world needs it. Restore my church. As you can see, it is in ruins. May you, walk her Harbor, may you grab hands with one another, may we love one another well and then take this love together out to the world that is wandering, wandering and wilting under a lot of darkness, a lot of violence, a lot of destruction and love is needed now more than ever. May you Grab hands with one another and be faithful to Christ in living out this love. And that will be good news to all. You do so. I do this with you through the power of the grace and peace and calling of Christ. Love well. Amen.